0: Well, good morning again. Good to be with you. Uh, I don't even notice, I'm the youngest of uh, my family. And uh, being the youngest was hard because um, I like to uh, tell people what to do. And when you're the youngest, you can't really tell people what to do. Um, You're not a guide. You're not a leader. You're just the younger brother that um, is an annoyance. Uh, So this is what happened in my family. I grew up in Madison, and my parents always had... Uh, people living in our house, um, usually from Liberia or Nigeria, Kenya, um, students from Africa. Either they were in high school or they were uh, attending the University of Wisconsin. And it was great growing up and having these guys come to live with us because I got to be their guide uh, through the Wisconsin winters. Okay, Because they had never seen snow before. They had never lived in sub-freezing temperatures before. But I got to be with them as they experienced it for the first time. I was their guide through winter. A Wisconsin winner. And so I got to say some fun things. Like wearing five sweatshirts on top of each other is not the best idea. How to stay warm. A coat is a helpful thing. That making snow angels when you have no shirt on is the way to go. The only way to make a snow angel. You don't do it when you have a coat on. And so, these to say, I wasn't always the best guide for them when they came over here about a Wisconsin winter, But it was fun. It was fun to be their guide as much as I could be. And then I got it back uh, a tenfold when I went to Africa when I was, when I was young, too, and they uh, brought me through uh, African culture, but uh, that's another story. But this is the question I want to ask you today. Have you ever been in that place where you needed a guide? A guide through life, a guide through issues, a guide through uh, things that you're dealing with? And I guess those are the... I'm going to ask one is PowerPoint, too. i got to get the reach to this. Do we believe we need a guide? Number one. Number two, who do we choose to be our guide? Who is the person that does help us through life? And thirdly and lastly is PowerPoint? Is it going to show? Oh, no, I guess not. You're not showing a third point, which is probably my fault. So the third one is who is the right guide? Who is the right one? The one that we should choose. And the idea that I want to express to you today. The point that I want you to get is this. The points. Boom. Yes. To find life to the full, we need to follow the good shepherd and beware of imitations. To find life to the full, we need to follow the good shepherd and beware of imitations. So let's open the word. I think it's going to be answering those three questions for us and trying to get to that point. What do we need a guide? What guide do we choose? And who is the right guide? Um, I think it's 896. Yep, 896. If you want to follow along, I encourage you to. Um, We're going to be looking at chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. So let us pay attention to the Lord's Word. Okay. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So Jesus again said to them, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep And I have other sheep that are not of this fold I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice So there will be one flock one shepherd for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just pray that you would help us understand your word, that it wouldn't just go into our minds, but it would penetrate into our hearts and change us and transform us. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. There's lots of things in this passage. I read 21 verses there, and I'm not going to be able to get to every single detail that's in this passage. And again, if you have questions about some of those things that were raised in the passage, I'll be around afterwards. And tonight, I encourage you to come to Frank's Pizza. I heard it's really good. And I'd uh, love to talk there, too. So again, um, I want to deal with two major issues. And these are the images. I don't even know this, but in John, G- Jesus uses a lot of things to describing who he is as a person. It's called the festival sermons. And what he does is he uses objects to explain himself. Like, I am the light of the world. We discussed a little bit about that last week, about light and darkness. He talks about, I am the vine. I am the bread. I am the gate. I am the shepherd. You know, all these I am statements. He even says, I am. So he's describing himself through inanimate objects. The only time they actually describes himself through a relationship is, in this passage, is I am the shepherd. And I want to look at these two images. You got to be, you got to understand that when Jesus is giving these, you know, festival sermons given at times of festivals, he's using images that were clear to these people about what happened at the festival time. Be like a Christmas tree at Christmas or stockings or um, a turkey at Thanksgiving for us. So these images of shepherd and sheep were so clear to these people, and they bring up so many images and connotations that we don't really understand them all the time in our culture, but in this culture where shepherding was a huge part of the culture, that would just bring up images in these people's minds. So I want to look at these two images and unpack them for you this morning. Okay, One is the shepherd. Okay, Shepherd in Greek is poimena. It's used throughout the New Testament. And uh, when shepherd is used in the New Testament, it's always referring to kind of a leadership role. Both in Greek culture, Roman culture, and Hebrew culture, when people were leaders, they were referred to as shepherds. So that was the connotation that people had in those cultures. If you want to call someone a shepherd, you're calling them a leader. For most of us in our culture, we sometimes have that connotation. There's only one time in the New Testament that actually they translate the word poemina, that Greek word, not shepherd, but actually pastor. You know, and... For many of you, you call Dan Pastor Dan, and that has a connotation of a spiritual leader. And that's actually the same word in the Greek for shepherd, but in Latin, it's pastor, okay? So again, I want to get the idea to you that when the word shepherd is being used, it's being used for leadership. And then there's the word sheep, okay? Sheep was referred to in the Old Testament um, as the people of Israel. Actually, King David, who was called a shepherd also refer to himself as a sheep Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd if the Lord is David's shepherd he's then referring to himself as a sheep so again what's happening is Jesus is now talking to this crowd of people out there and he is using images like shepherd and sheep so what he's using in this parable or allegory or metaphor is that Jesus is the shepherd the leader And everyone he's talking to are the sheep. So for us today, he is calling us sheep, okay? Now, I love, we have a little stuffed sheep that's really curly and fuzzy and really cute. I mean, I love stuffed sheep animals. They're just so fun, and they're cuddly and cute. They don't smell bad like regular sheep. Um, they, uh, you know, seem like they're just adorable animals, but that's really not what Jesus is saying about sheep in this passage. So let's pop the first one up. What do we have to know about sheep? What he's calling us one sheep are dependent. Okay. They are dependent beings. Okay. Let's see where the passage kind of talks about sheep as being dependent beings. The next one, they need protection. Okay. Verses seven through 10 talks about the sheep needing protection. And what it's talking about in this verse is talking about they are susceptible thieves coming, robbers coming, um, other uh, you know, uh, dangerous things being able to take them or hurt them. They are dependent beings that need someone to protect them. That's number one. They're dependent. Number two is they don't make the best decisions. Okay, They're not the smartest animals in the world. Isaiah 53, 6, we are like sheep and have gone astray. It's saying that sheep don't always follow um, what the shepherd tells them to do. They don't make the best decisions. Uh, I don't know. You gotta. Re- I love these books on shepherding. Um, w. Philip Keller. He's a shepherd in British Columbia. He talks about his experiences being a shepherd, and uh, he tells some stories. One thing he tells us. So here he is. Um, he owns like these hundreds and hundreds of sheep, and uh, they're all. I don't know if you know this, but sheep they need to lay down and rest. Okay, and uh, it takes a lot for them to rest. It takes the right pasture to lay down. It takes um, not being around another sheep that might antagonize them. Uh, It also takes um, not seeing any predators around. It just takes the perfect, you know, concoction for them to actually lay down and rest, okay? So W. Philip Keller is telling, you know, he's got these hundreds of sheep that are right near the house, right by the gate, you know, right here laying down. They're just having a great time. A friend comes over, okay? And the friend um, has this little chihuahua dog, okay? The chihuahua gets out of the car and once one of the sheep sees this little dog doesn't even bark, the hundreds of sheep all get up. They run a half a mile over to the far side of um, the fencing area and they just stand there and are just anxious. They don't sit back down. They just they're just kind of jittery the whole time. That is sheep, okay? I'm so glad we're not cheap, you know? now we're not anxious, we're not worried about things around us. Man, I just man, self disclosure. I cannot chill. I cannot relax unless the house is in perfect order. Okay? Unless it is clean, unless things are in its place and organized, I just can't chill out. I'm just anxious. What about you? Is one thing set you off and you're anxious the whole day? Someone says something at work? I don't know, maybe the budget isn't perfectly right? One thing. I'm just anxious. I'm worried. Everything has to be perfect. It has to be just right. You know, also, sheep aren't the smartest things. Um, there's an article in a Turkish newspaper... Uh, just recently, it's amazing what makes Turkish news, but um, about sheep. And uh, in this one, what happened was there was a, a bunch of hired hands and uh, they wanted to take a breakfast break. So they left the sheep uh, to pasture and took a breakfast break. And during breakfast, um, there was a, a cliff in a ravine and about 75 feet. And um, uh, the sheep uh, went off the cliff into the ravine. Um, 400 of the sheep died, just one after another, going off the cliff. Now, the good news of the story is this that 1,100 sheep after those 400 sheep uh, followed them off the cliff and survived. So, um, 400 sheep died, and the other ones um, lightened the, the load um, and the falling, so they were cushioned by these other sheep. So, 1,100 went up. So, 1,500 sheep off the side of the cliff, following each other, and $73,000 of sheep lost insane. So that makes Turkish news. But sheep are not the smartest animals in the world. They don't make the best decisions. Again, Jesus is saying, you are sheep. Do we make the best decisions? You know, you know what I find interesting, I call them the cringe moments or the twinge moments. When I think back about something I did like five, ten years ago, did, why did I say that? Why did I think that? Why was I even that kind of person five, ten years ago? And I just kind of, they're like, oh, man. And the thing is, now that I, you know, I, just, I go through life normally, right, in the present day, I don't cringe or twinge when I say things or do things. Um, I think, hey, you know, I'm okay now. But it's crazy how what we did five, ten years ago we cringe about. But now, in our own decisions we make now, we go, hey, now I'm doing the right thing. But you know, five, ten years down the road, we'll look back at the decisions we make now and go, man... What was I thinking? What was I going through? Truth is, we all are making bad decisions currently through our life, but in the present moment, we don't think the bad decisions are really happening. An aspect of sheep is we make bad decisions, stupid decisions sometimes, and we are anxious beings. We are dependent. That is what Jesus says. And you know what we say? I'm not going to make the same bad choices. I'm okay as it is right now. The one thing about sheep also is they continue to do the same action over and over and over again. When a a sheep will run into the same thorn bush, a shepherd will take the sheep out of the thorn bush, but they will not learn. They'll run into it time and time again. And that's another aspect about us, how we're like sheep. We don't always learn from our mistakes. We think, oh, we're finally over it. We finally arrived. We're okay. So what does that lead to? It leads to this. We are sheep and we will follow something or someone. So that's the second point. Sheep will follow something or someone. And here's kind of the two points for that. One, um, outside of the pasture, there are thieves. Okay? Um, Sheep will either go to try to go to another pasture, either go under the fence many times, and in trying to find another pasture, trying to find another place, they many times to be robbed and be taken. And many times these will choose the wrong guidance. This is the next point. There are hired hands that, um, that run when it comes to danger. So they'll choose hired hands that always when danger comes, they're just going to run away from them. You understand, um, Jesus is giving this sermon at the Feast of Dedication. I don't know if you know this, but dedication um, in Hebrew is Hanukkah. Okay, so this is the only time that Hanukkah is actually referenced um, in the New Testament. And Hanukkah was a celebration of um, the leaders of Israel uh, during the Maccabean period. Okay, um, and these leaders really delivered um, the Israelites from um, Greek um, rule in Israel. So when the feast of Hanukkah is happening, um, they're talking about leadership. And uh, Jesus, it makes sense, he's talking about shepherds as leaders. And Jesus is making a point. He's saying, I am greater than those leaders that we're celebrating today in Hanukkah. And during the time of Jesus, there are also many rabbis and those that went out and said they were shepherds and leaders. And Jesus is saying, I am even greater than these shepherds and leaders that are also teaching at the same time. It's a revolutionary statement. As people are thinking back about these leaders that delivered Israel from Greek control, Jesus is saying, I'm greater than them. He's trying to say that every single sheep, every single person needs guidance. And in that culture, they wanted leaders. They wanted guidance. Let me make a point, though, for us. I think in American culture, many times it's independence. It's entrepreneurial We don't want leaders. We don't want guides. We want to go our own way. And and I think Tim Keller, a pastor and redeemer, maybe Dan references him sometimes, he probably does. But he makes a really good point about this. It's a mantra I hear time and time again. I don't know if you hear this mantra, but I hear this from people. And it goes like this. It doesn't matter what others think. All that matters is what I think of myself. It doesn't matter what others think. All that matters is what I think of myself. That's something I hear all the time from people. And I want to speak to this point, okay? I'm going to use Dan Jackson as the illustration here. Okay, let's say Dan, um, he is determined, He's told all of you, he's told everyone he meets, I, when training camp starts back for the Green Bay Packers, I'm going to be playing linebacker next to A.J. Hawk and Clay Matthews. I will be. It's going to happen. I'm doing it because I think I can. I know I can. I will be playing linebacker, starting linebacker on the Green Bay Packers. Now, what would you say if Dan said that to you? Okay, maybe, oh, yeah, I don't want to make fun of Dan. But, um, I mean, um, I might see Dan, like, maybe he's a really good football player. But then you see him play, and you're like, uh, maybe not. Um, and you're like, Dan, you know, that's great. You have that drive, and you really want to do it. Um, but you're not going to be playing for the Green Bay Packers. Every single person tells him he's not going to be starting for the Green Bay Packers, but he still says, I am going to be starting for the Green Bay Packers. At that point, um, there's a word we use for people like that. It's called insanity, okay? Um, What is it, doing the same thing, expecting different results? you You know, that's insanity. So it doesn't matter what Dan says. I am a middle linebacker for the Green Bay Packers. He might say that. Over and over and over again. But as much as he says that, he will not be that. Sure, you have a great self image, Dan. You care about yourself, but it's not going to happen. The point is this we need someone in our life to guide us, to affirm us, to put us in the place where we have gifting. No matter who we are, We need someone to do that for us. There are two equal and opposite dangers. Please hear me on this point, okay? One of the dangers is this, that we think we don't need anyone else in life to tell us or to affirm us that we can do anything on our own. That is one error. And the second equal and opposite error is relying on the wrong people to affirm us and tell us what we should be doing in life. These are two equal and opposite errors. I think many times in American culture, we kind of tend towards the one that says, I can do anything I want to. I can be anything I want to. It's just about my own self-image. But we need someone to affirm us. Who will that person be? Who will be that guide in our lives? Well, I think this is where we run into trouble. The trouble is this. That we sometimes choose the wrong people to guide us. The wrong people to be around us. Um, I think about hired hands. These people run when there's danger with the sheep. They run away. And I want to tell you, you might think, if I cling to this boss in my work, if I get this relationship in my life through a spouse or through whoever it might be, if I am in this kind of place... It will bring me value. It will bring me to the place I need to be. I'll tell you this. If you put your hope in a relationship at work or relationship with a spouse, and that is the person that's going to give you full value, is going to bring you to the end, you are going to be in danger. I love my wife. Okay. Erin's great. I mean, she's amazing. She came up here. She did a great job. I know she loves speaking in front of people. She's great. But, you know, and we've known each other for a long time. But when things get hard and difficult, sometimes she's not always there. I mean, she's there. I love her. I care about her. But there's times that she can't give me what I need. And if I put all my hope in her, she would, that'd put a lot of pressure on her. And she put all their hope in me, that put a lot of pressure on me. If we choose someone to be that guy that will help us in all times, that's going to be there for us no matter what, we are going to be in serious danger. So who will we choose? Who will be the person that we will choose? We need a shepherd. That is who we need, need to have. So the first point is this. That knows them. A shepherd knows his sheep. The second is... A shepherd lays down their life for the sheep. A good shepherd knows the sheep by name. Okay, that is really important. You got to understand with shepherds, there is an understanding of the sheep. They really know their sheep. Uh, there's a story in, in uh, Israel today that um, a, a, they took all the sheep away from uh, this Palestinian village because they weren't paying taxes. So there's thousands of sheep. Many different shepherds were ahead of him. And um, this boy came to the guards that were guarding all these sheep that had been taken away and said, listen, we need our sheep because if we don't have our sheep, um, we don't have any livelihood and my dad is sick. The the guards say, that's great, but there's no way you're going to be able to identify your sheep versus the other sheep. And this is what the boy does. He pulls out kind of a penny whistle that we had tonight. He starts playing the penny whistle. And as he plays a penny whistle, the sheep that are his, the few hundred, come out of all these thousands of sheep and just follow him down the road. And they all have these little markings in their ear to know that they were his sheep. And he just drew them all out. The boy knew his sheep that well. And the sheep knew him. That's how well the good shepherd, a shepherd, knows his sheep. What is an image of a good shepherd? What does a good shepherd look like? Okay, good. I'm doing a good time. So let me do this last one, okay? Doris Goodwin, she's a, um, a Pulitzer Prize writer, and she wrote a book called Team of Rivals, okay? In Team of Rivals, she talks about the the archetype shepherd of American culture, right? Abraham Lincoln, okay? So Abraham Lincoln, um, he um, was known for being, you know, this great leader in American culture. And I don't know if you know this, but in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was not um, the most popular figure in America, and really people didn't know his name. The name that everyone knew was William Seward, who was the senator from New York, and everyone thought he was going to be the president. And and Doris Goodwin writes in this book, the reason that Lincoln was so good at being a leader is because he had empathy. He understood the people that he led. He knew them inside and out. And here is this man, William Seward, this prestigious senator from New York. And William Seward thought he was going to be president of the United States, and then said this country-time lawyer from Illinois becomes president. And Lincoln, instead of just casting William Seward out because he was a rival, brought William Seward into his cabinet, the most powerful position in his cabinet, he brought William Seward. And Seward, in letters, cursed Lincoln. In the press, he cursed Lincoln. He cursed his name. He didn't like Lincoln at all. And this is what's really interesting. Lincoln knew that. Lincoln knew that the country really wanted Seward to be president. They knew that the media really wanted Seward to be president. But instead of casting Seward out, he brought him into the fold. And in bringing him into the fold, he did this. He got to know Seward. He brought him. He got to know what he was dealing with, what he was going through. He empathized with his pain, especially when the media turned on him and people in the media finally said, Seward, you should be out. Lincoln should kick Seward out of the cabinet because of the decisions he's making. And the public turned on Seward, too, and said, Lincoln, this is a bad guy. Look what he's done. And then Seward gave his resignation to Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln refused. He said, no, I need you with me. Lincoln got to know Seward so well, even though he cursed him, even though he ran from him, even though he spoke illy of him. And over time, they became great friends. And this is what happened. I remember after Lincoln's second election, this is what Seward said about Lincoln. All men will come to see him as you and I have seen him. A true, loyal, patient, patriotic, and benevolent man. That is the Abraham Lincoln that I know. After he had cursed him four years earlier. This is a picture of a good shepherd. And people really don't know this. Five days before Lincoln's assassination... Seward was um, in a really bad carriage accident and many thought he was going to die. And uh, Francis Seward, his son, writes how he walked into the room and there laying next to his father was Abraham Lincoln. He laid right next to him and Seward could not hear very well because the accent had damaged the side of his face. So he went and he had spoken into his ear and he was telling him about what was going on in the war and how things were going well. The picture of a good shepherd, one laying down a man that he knew so well that had cursed him, that had hurt him, and befriended him. And Seward became one of the greatest secretary of states ever through this friendship and this good shepherding of Abraham Lincoln, empathizing with this man. Dan, thanks. Thanks for the history lesson. That's wonderful. You know, thanks for the illustrations. That's great. I could see how you could keep on going and say, you know, Abraham Lincoln laid down his life. I just see how it goes. It's great. Let me tell you something. This is the last point. Get this. Here we go. Sheep need just not just a shepherd, but the good shepherd. The good shepherd is unique. Let me make this point here. Jesus said some things in here that described him against every other shepherd, every other leader through history he was different. Why do you think the people got so upset and so angry by what he said? So many people called themselves shepherds. Jesus was just doing the same thing. But no, Jesus said something so crazy, so controversial, so different in this passage. I'm going to lose it. I don't know if we even had it up there. Oh, 96. Here it is. In chapter 10, this is what he says. He's saying, he says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus is saying this about him being a shepherd. All other shepherds before me, all shepherds through history, are dependent. They all need the Father. They're all dependent on him. Yes, I need the Father. But again, Jesus makes a point on top of that. He says this. But I don't take my life because others take it from me. I don't do it because I'm subservient to anything or anyone. I do it because I am on par with my Father. I have authority like He does. It is my own accord that I give my life. Please hear this. Jesus is is saying you all are dependent you all are in need you all need me the good shepherd i am dependent on no one and no thing and this is where it gets good i am dependent on no one and no thing but i became a sheep for you i became dependent i came down to this earth i gave my life i went through the things that you go through i became a sheep so that you might have life that is the picture of a shepherd that no one else in our life can give us no one through history no one in any other relationship that is the picture of jesus christ Psalm 43, here it is. It gives a picture of, of being, why is my soul so cast down within me, right? So this is the psalm. I always understand, what is cast down? Just is be low, right? Cast down means when sheep, they kind of um, go in a pasture, they just fall down on their sides. And I don't know if you know this, but when sheep fall down on their sides and they start to get on their back, they start flailing like this. They can get back up that they're so scared, they just start flailing. And then if they sit there for a while enough, they die. Just a few hours, they just die. And Philip Keller says, this is what a shepherd has to do. He has to watch his sheep when they're cast down, when they're hurt, when they're in trouble. He will come to their sheep and he will turn them over. He'll speak to them. He'll say nice words to them. How are you doing, little guy? And then he'll rub their legs, you know, and then they'll walk off a little bit. And they get wobbly and they fall again. And he goes up to them again and rubs their legs and picks them back up. The picture of a good shepherd is this, and this is what Christ does. I'm telling you, if you are, if you are in need, or if you are in a bad place, he's saying, why are you cast down with a new soul? Why are you turned up flailing? Know that there's a good shepherd that picks you back up, that rubs your feet, that calls you by name, and says, I have something for you. Two minutes and I'm done. Here we go. Parents, if you have a God that's a good shepherd like that for you, that loves you and knows you for your most vulnerable times, for the the weakest you are, for wherever you are, if he does that for you, how much more should we love our kids in this moment? The 8.45 at night moment. Okay, You know that moment. When you have put the kids in bed, you have punched out for the day, and they come back downstairs and they tell you they want something. And you're just, I just, I just lose it at those moments, the 845 moment. I just lose it. The thing is, sometimes my daughter is coming to me with some of the most intimate things and something she's really struggling with at that moment. I'm, I'm not saying the procrastination. I'm saying, but when your kid comes back to you in that moment with something that's very important, I want to say, I'm not just tired. I haven't just punched out the clock. That is not the kind of shepherd I am. I will love them. I will listen to them in that moment. If God does that for me and watches over me in all moments and cares for me in that way, how much more should I do that for my children? Second, for uh, bosses that are here, for the employees that you have in your company, are they just an ends that justifies the means? I encourage you, how are you shepherding your employees? How are you getting to know them? How are you abiding with them? And lastly, I can say this because I'm here and I'm not your pastor. How are we doing that for Dan Jackson? You all are blessed. Okay? I wouldn't come to Wisconsin and I wouldn't plant a church at Appleton if you didn't have a great leader here. And you do. That's why I'm here. He has shepherded well. He has led well. He is a guy that has wisdom, that wants to know you, that wants to get to see what you're dealing with and help you in your situation. But that's not just why I like Dan, because he's a great shepherd. But he's a great shepherd because he knows he is a shepherd above him, and he relies on the Lord. He knows he's weak. He knows he has issues. But he says, God, I come to you. I understand you're the shepherd of my life. That's a guy I want to follow. A guy that points me out to himself, but points himself to Jesus and all of us, to the good shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we follow so many different people in life. We think they will give us life. We think they will lead us to the right path.